The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. For those of you who have listened to this broadcast for any length of time, you know that I come as a fellow servant, as one who is learning and growing, looking, searching. My heart is hungry for Jesus. I don't come with, here's the truth. I come instead bringing the scriptures to you. And I have to tell you, I've all of my life, from the time I was a small child, four, five, six years old, I've been searching after Jesus. I've had to change church denominations. I've had to leave churches. I've had to leave the pastoring of churches. I have had one primary focus all of my life, and that is I need to know the way, the narrow path to heaven. I have turned aside from being successful. I've turned aside from the ways of this world. I have sought to understand the gospel of Jesus. I have given my whole life to search out the meaning of the scripture and to understand it. Now, some of you are much smarter than I am. You very quickly have learned what the gospel is, and you're on your way, and that's okay. I'm not envious. But this broadcast is for men and women who are searching after Jesus and who are not satisfied with the shallow worldly gospel that is proclaimed in America today. And I'm going to go again into this search as I look at the scriptures and try to understand the very foundational truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't come to you with smooth words. I don't come with wisdom. I don't come with any authority except that of the Holy Spirit. I'm nobody. I'm just a man who searches after Jesus. He is the cry of my heart. And I have been time after time astonished at the revelations of gospel truth that he has shown upon my mind, and I have rejoiced in that understanding that he has brought so clearly into my heart. It seems to me that most of us have have missed one of the foundational truths of the Scripture. And I have to tell you that in my limited experience, I have never heard a pastor preach or teach 
on what I'm going to share with you today. But I find it throughout the scriptures. I find it not... How do I put this? Not hidden away, but right there on the surface. And I've missed it. I've missed it. Time after time, I've missed it. I feel like I've tried to begin to get at it. Um, and then I miss it. I try to, to reach out and understand it. And then I miss it. I get taken off in another direction. I read a book once where, actually it was C.S. Lewis, that great Christian writer in the Narnia series, where one of his characters was meeting a wicked witch who was disguised as someone beautiful. And she began to say things that caused them to drift into a place of of comfort with no understanding. And suddenly, one of the characters put his foot in the fire and felt the, the pain. And it suddenly broke the spell, and he awakened. He threw off the lies of this woman who was speaking as a witch. And suddenly he was alert again, and he shook the others, and he said, Wake up! I feel like that's a bit how I am. So I come today to try to to say to you, I'm feeling the pain of the fire. And I'm waking up. I feel like I have been preaching toward righteousness all of my life. But there have been some essential elements that I have not gone deeply enough into that the righteousness could be truly seen and understood. Everything in this world, everything in the flesh, everything about our culture is to shield us, to protect us from the reality I'm going to share with you today. We call one preacher in the West the smiling preacher. And he's written a new book. It's in all the bookstores. It's, I think, number two or three on the New York seller's bestseller list. It may be better than that. I don't know. I am. I am. He's not talking about Jesus either. He's talking about the human spirit standing on confidence that I am. Well, I am is a name for God. It's the verb to be. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am is literally the mighty God of heaven. But that illusion that I'm God 
has permeated the Christian church in America. But what's at the core of this? In fact, what's at the core of all sin? What's at the very heart of all sin? You see, most of us would say that lying and cheating and stealing, we would say those things are wrong. We would say they're sin. And they are. But those are the outward manifestations of something that's going on inside the soul of a person. What is on the inside of the soul of the person? And I want to suggest to you today a very radical understanding that at the very heart of sin is God-hate. God-hatred. The hatred of who he is and what he's about. And that God-hatred flows out of a man or a woman who says, I am. It flows out of the human heart. As it said in the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, the 7th verse, the human heart is at enmity with God. What's enmity? It is hatred. It is at war. How can a person honestly repent if they don't understand that the outward sin flows from a hatred for God? Now, Romans, the third chapter, is very clear that when we uncover that hatred for God, it's putrid, it's ugly, dark. So a man or woman can be very friendly to Jesus, have emotional feelings for Jesus. A man or woman can love the church, but never deal with the inward hatred of their heart for God. I've been told many times, Pastor, if you would just preach the love of God, if you would just preach the mercy of God, your church would grow quickly. Oh, I know that's true. Thirty years ago, as I was pastoring a a church that I founded in Bethesda, Maryland, it grew very rapidly. I was preaching a positive, reformed doctrine. First year, we had over 300 people join the church. We were fast-growing, positive-thinking, Christian church. But we weren't really Christian because we were using the gospel of Jesus. I was using the gospel of Jesus to teach the modern gospel of relational theology, the modern gospel of self-esteem, 
positive thinking, prosperity. And the Lord finally came to me out of the emptiness of my soul, and he said, this church belongs to you. It's not mine. I don't want it. Close it if you want to follow me. And I closed that church, and for seven years, my wife and I had no public ministry. We spent our days homeless, living with a pagan friend in a tiny little bedroom, spending literally all day reading the scriptures and praying and searching the scriptures to understand who Jesus was. And he has taken us through many trials and tribulations and and siftings to finally bring me today to the point where I can say to you with absolute clarity and with, with no hesitation, until you deal with the hatred of God that resides in your inner being, you cannot be converted. You cannot be born from above. You cannot be saved. You can be very religious. You can even be a pastor. But until you deal with the essential hatred in your heart for God, you cannot be saved. Part of what the Holy Spirit does with his servants is he takes them through a process of discipline, of emotional prison, of heartache and disappointment, piercings, brings his children to judgment, even as he did that dear man Job, who proclaimed his self-righteousness, until finally he saw God, and he repented in dust and ashes and recognized he was nothing. Oh, it's easy to think we're somebody when we've never seen God. But if you once begin to get a a vision of, of who Jesus is, You have to deal with the hatred in your heart toward him. We're told in the book of Luke, the 24th chapter, as Jesus, after the resurrection, opened the minds of the disciples so they could understand the scriptures, he told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. You notice, it does not say, the love of Jesus will be preached. That's not what it says. It says, repentance will be preached, and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Oh, the love of God is there. The love of God is expressed in his kindness and forgiveness, his wonderful mercy. But if we start preaching the forgiveness of sins before we have preached 
the truth about our human heart condition. We'll simply use the gospel of Jesus for cheap self-improvement and we'll reside in self-righteousness and powerlessness without the Holy Spirit because we still have at the core of our being a hatred for God. I look at this passage of Scripture in Luke, the 22nd chapter. I'll begin with verse 31. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. In the Greek, you is not singular. It is plural. He is literally saying, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you and the other disciples. All of the disciples were now going to go through a great sifting. And if you remember, they all fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. They all fled from Jesus and deserted him. It wasn't just Peter who deserted the Lord. It was also all the others. Satan asked to sift all of the disciples, Satan has asked to sift you. And God will permit you to be sifted in order to get at the very core truth of the human condition, which is hatred for God. Now he says in verse 32, But I have prayed for you, Simon. I have prayed for you, disciples. I've prayed for you who follow me. That's what he's saying, that your faith may not fail. In other words, faith is, in the Old Testament, fidelity. Faith in the New Testament is absolute trust and confidence. Now, please understand what I'm going to say. On this journey toward heaven, on this pilgrim's road that Bunyan talks about in Pilgrim's Progress, we earnestly desire to follow Jesus. We put our faith in him, meaning we put our confidence in him. But as we put our confidence in him, the sifting continues. The sifting must continue because there must be a full revelation to our hearts about what our heart condition is that Jesus could give to us a new heart, a heart of flesh, where the commandments of God are written on our heart. There must be a total eradication, a total destruction, a total removal of the hatred that comes inborn in a man's spirit toward God. If you think you have never had hatred in your heart toward God, if you think you were not as a child and as an adult in a place of hatred toward God, if you believe you've never turned aside from him, you've never been converted. You must have a revelation of of who Jesus is, but you must also have a revelation of who you are. 
and of the hatred that's in your heart toward righteousness. And then Jesus says, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, that hatred that resides in the heart of man, even though he is a follower of Jesus Christ, will cause that follower of Jesus to turn aside from the path. Bunyan recognized that when he tells the story of Christian turning off the path, desiring a more comfortable path. And he's taken into a place that is not of God. I'm sure if you're honest with me, you will admit that you have at times turned away from the Lord and you have followed your own path. And you've ended up in the dungeon of despair. And the only thing that rescued you from the dungeon of despair was the key, the promises of God. And your faith did not fail. Even though you may have wanted to just die, you may have said, I'm, I, I just want to die. I don't want to live anymore. That's because you have turned away from the Lord Jesus. And that hatred in your heart is being exposed. He says, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Why strengthen your brothers? Because they also are going to turn away. They also will begin to understand the depth of their hatred toward God. They'll begin to understand the animosity toward righteousness the desire for self-preservation. I remember our neighbor in the fall when I was just a boy would butcher the pigs. A lamb or a sheep will come up and stand and it's slaughtered. No objection. A pig, however, will squall and fight. There's a pig nature in each of us that wants to fight and squall and not say, Jesus, have your way in my life. I give all that I am to you. Take over my whole life. I belong to you, Jesus. No, we'll squall and fight if we see that Jesus is wanting to take something from us that is of our essential nature. Man does not die easily. It's not an easy thing for a man to lay down his life and give himself totally into the hand of Jesus Christ. So here's Peter. Verse 33, he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Lord, I am totally committed to you. I am given over to you. What Peter doesn't know is that buried in the depths of his heart is still a kernel of hatred toward God. And that thing has to be exposed. And the devil is counting on his being able to turn Peter away from Jesus. Now, Judas also has that kernel of hatred in his heart toward God. 
they both are confronted now. Jesus answers, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. You will deny that you know me three times. And then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. But now he says, if you have a purse, take it. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. In other words, you're going to be for a time without me. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives as usual. And there he began to pray. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. There was a naturalness in the heart of Jesus who was without sin. He did not want to die. He did not want to be separated from his father. There's nothing natural about a man wanting to die. His position was, your will be done. The Gethsemane stone was lowered onto his life. The devil came in all of his power to crush him, to turn him aside from becoming the atoning sacrifice for his people. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He went back to his disciples, and they were exhausted by sorrows. He said, get up and pray so that you may not fall into temptation. And then Judas came. And Jesus was taken. Jesus said, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Jesus is astonished at the wickedness of their hearts, of the hatred they have in their hearts for God. Please, why would they come and take Jesus? Why did they hate him so? Jesus came from heaven as a baby, innocent. He grew up among us, fully man and fully God. When he began his ministry, he began it by humbling his heart. No arrogance, no self-concern. The devil came tempting him. He gave everything in his heart over to the Lord God of heaven. 
He quoted the scriptures and defeated the devil. And then what did he do? He began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. In other words, he began to say, turn from your breaking of the law. Turn from the hatred in your heart toward the Almighty God. They were offended. They said, there's no hatred of God in our hearts. You must be crazy. Some of you are saying that right now. Pastor, you're crazy. There's no hatred of God in my heart. Yes, there is. There is in the heart of every human being a hatred of righteousness, a hatred of God's love, of God's mercy. And until you can acknowledge that deep, dark inner core of the human heart, you'll never find Jesus the way you want to find him. Until you are able to recognize the anger against God, until you're able to deal openly and honestly with a true heart condition, you cannot be saved. Oh, I'm saved, you say. Not if you have not understood and acknowledged the deep inner hatred in your heart for God. Now, let's be honest. That hatred does not show up when you're singing songs of praise at church. That hatred does not show up when when everything is going your way. But when your body is touched, when your life is threatened, when your success is slipping out of your hand, when you're unemployed and hopeless, when you're losing your house and you're losing that which you love. Then you see the hatred rise in your heart. How can God treat me this way? Look how I have served him, and yet he treats me this way? Suddenly a door begins to open in the human heart, and we begin to see the depth of the darkness that resides in that place. The hatred of God begins to dribble out of the inner soul. Jesus went to that cross and was crucified and no hatred showed up. No turning aside from the Father showed up. Only submission. This is this is your will, God, then if you can't take this cup from me, let your will be done. There was no bitterness. There was no drama. There was sweating of blood. There was anguish. There was pain. 
There was brokenness. But there was no turning away from God. There was no rebellion. There was no sin. Because Jesus, in the innermost part of his heart, had no anger or hatred toward God. But as soon today as someone comes and begins to confront us with the hatred of the human heart and begins to say, look, that anger that springs to your lips so quickly against your brother or sister, that flows out of an inner hatred of God in your soul. And that has to be excised. It has to be removed. And it can only be removed by repenting and by surrendering, and by being crucified with Jesus Christ. We have so many false Christians in America today, men and women who who enjoy the benefits, but have never surrendered that inner core of their being and said, I'm yours, Jesus. And then in the sifting process, did not turn away from Jesus. In the sifting process, they simply surrendered their hearts in the anguish of their soul and said, Jesus, thy will be done. I trust you. I trust you. No, instead, defensiveness rose up and said, I'm going to put a fence around my little, my little deal. I'm going to protect what I have. So even out of the most gentle-hearted woman will come rage and anger and defensiveness to protect what is mine. Breaks my heart. This anger that has resided in my heart toward God this hatred, this enmity. Jesus is brought before the tribunal. Peter denies that he knows Jesus three times. And then suddenly his world crashes in on him. As suddenly his hatred for God is revealed for what it is. Peter was a people pleaser. Peter wanted to be accepted. He wanted to be a part of the crowd. Peter wanted everybody to love and respect him. And so he's with people who do not love and respect Jesus, and he sides with these people against Jesus. And finally, the enormity of the hatred that resides in his heart, the defensiveness, the desire to be loved, the desire to be pleasing, the desire to be recognized, 
He sees it all in its ugliness and he he goes outside and he weeps bitterly. And then before he can make it right with Jesus, Jesus is crucified. And Peter is utterly crushed. And all hope is gone. All of his days and months and years of walking the trails with Jesus have have now all been blown away by his own unveiling. By his own action. By his own choice. By his own shame of God. I have recognized many times in my heart the rising up of the same shame that Peter had. Because this world is all I see. The friendships I have are all I have. The people I cherish are all I have. Should I side with with an unseen God? Shall I side with Jesus and let the reality of heaven fill every crook and cranny of my soul? Shall I divorce myself from the reality of this world and all that it has to offer? That is the demand of Jesus that I let go of everything, mother, father, brother, sister, even wife, let go of everything and everybody for Jesus, that he must be first and foremost and everything to my heart. But I'm stopped from doing that by that residual self-love, by that residual hatred of God. Until finally, like Peter, all we can do is lay on our faces and weep before God. Some of you have never laid on your face and wept before God. And the reason you've never done that is you have never allowed yourself to see the core of hatred toward God in your heart. That core is not revealed until everything we are is challenged and the decision is put squarely before us. Will we renounce the world, the flesh, and the devil? And will we receive Jesus Christ? Until you've done that, you will not weep in repentance before God and you will not be saved. I've heard people say, well, so-and-so is a friend of Christianity. He's close to being saved. No, that's not true. A man who is at enmity with God in his heart is not close to being saved. That enmity has to be put to death. 
What did Jesus do? He went out and he healed the sick. He spoke wonderful words of righteousness to the people. He raised the dead. He fed the multitudes. What is there not to absolutely love about Jesus Christ? What is there not to absolutely throw ourselves at his feet and say, Jesus, have my all. I belong to you. I I see your love. I see your compassion. I see your mercy. I must have you, Jesus. No, that's not. That's not the human heart's response. The crowd said, crucify him. The crowd said, give us Barabbas. Why? Because Barabbas is like us. We're not threatened by Barabbas. Don't give us this Jesus. He's too kind. He's too merciful. He's too compassionate. We can't stand him. Give us someone like us. Give us a Barabbas. A murder. A violent man. Until we recognize that we have Barabbas' heart. We cannot repent and be filled with Jesus. What is the condition of your heart today? Have you recognized this hatred of God? Have you recognized this incessant turning away from him to the things of the world? Do you recognize what has to happen in your heart if you're to be saved? We have a lukewarm church. We have a lukewarm nation. But now that nation is coming forward with more and more hatred toward Jesus. Don't think that you're safe settled back in your lukewarm church with no fire and no passion and no Jesus. All of this wickedness that is flowing, the homosexuality, the the sexual uncleanness, all of this is God giving our nation over because his judgments are going to come upon us. The sheath of The sword of God has been full for many, many thousands of years. But that that sword is going to be drawn and judgment is going to come upon this nation and death and destruction will rule our nation because of our wickedness and our hatred for God. We must repent. We must repent, meaning come to Jesus and deal to the depths by his spirit searching the hatred in our heart toward God. He is righteous and holy. He is unlike us. He is pure and undefiled. 
He's full of compassion and mercy, kindness and love. We are not. We are filled with the darkness. We are filled with self. So the men begin to mock Jesus. They begin to hit him with their fists. They say many insulting things. They spit upon him. And finally, they take him to Pilate to be crucified. And Pilate says, I can't find anything about this man where he has broken the law. Here's the legal counsel saying, this man is innocent. He's the prosecutor, and he's saying, this man is innocent. I should let him go. And the people are crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because he cuts directly across their self-esteem. He cuts directly across their own inner ownership of their soul. Cuts across their pride, their ambition. He exposes the utter wickedness of their hearts and the hatred they bear for God. Exposes it by his mercy and his kindness and his grace. Please let me just say this as plainly as I can to you. The modern church is full of hatred for God. At the very core of its being is hatred for God. How can I say that? Because the modern church has compromised with sin. And sin is an expression of hatred toward God. Sin comes out of a hatred for God and for righteousness. Sin is not a mistake. Sin is an, a choosing, a voluntary choosing of the mind to rebel against Jesus. It is a choosing to be mindful of what I desire and a denial of what Jesus desires. Sin is an expression of law-breaking. Sin is law-breaking. That's what sin is. And it's always voluntary. It is choosing with the mind to rebel against Jesus, to, to desire the comfort and the love and the affirmation of this world and a refusal to stand up and say, this is wrong. So every wicked thing is flowing today into our nation. Companies for political correctness deny that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Companies for their own personal gain because they know that Christians will not object they know that Christians in America are toothless and heartless. They are very comfortable in their cultural traditions. 
but they do not walk in obedience and humble service to Jesus Christ. And because of that, President of the United States can do whatever he wants to do, and no one rises up and says, that is wrong, that is sin. You are breaking the law, Mr. President. And so he gets away with it. They can do whatever they want to do because Christians have rolled over for the devil. Christians have gotten bed with Satan. The churches of today have gotten in bed with the devil. So it's entertainment, it's inspiration, it's positive feelings, it's prosperity. But it's not righteousness. It's not innocence. It's not rebuking for our sin. There's no recognition of the, of the hatred in the human heart for God. The Christian church is not about self-improvement. The Christian church, according to Jesus, is about a man and a woman being transformed and being nailed to the cross with him, dying and being born again as a new creature in Christ, one who is totally loyal to Jesus, one who does not reside in anger and bitterness, one who does not lie and cheat and steal, one who is not sexually unclean, one who is not concerned about self and success, and ambition, but one who is utterly given over to the hand of Jesus and walks clean in the spirit of the living God. Almighty God, I just cry out to you today, and I ask, Almighty God, that in your mercy and compassion and love, You would not bring judgment unto destruction in America, but rather the judgment that has come would cause us to see the hatred in our heart for you and would cause us to turn and repent and seek you out. Jesus, my heart cannot be satisfied with this American coldness of heart, this lukewarmness of heart. Lord, there must be a fire of your Spirit bursting out among us. There must be a repentance among us. Jesus, I come pleading your blood today. I come asking for a revelation of your of your righteousness in the hearts of your people. I ask, Lord, that you would uncover the depths of the degradation of our human hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I invite you to come this Sunday and, and worship with us. If your heart is eager to walk in righteousness and you need to hear the straight, unvarnished word of God to call you to repentance, to a deeper walk with Jesus, your heart is hungry for his love. He'll meet you if you come. The National Prayer Chapel meets at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Let me give you the street address. 
It's the All Saints Anglican Church, and we rent from them at 12 noon every Sunday. And we're located at 14851 Gideon Drive. It's right next to the Hilt Memorial Chapel. Of course, this is in Woodbridge, Virginia. 22192. If this message of righteousness, you recognize it needs to be proclaimed to this nation, and you want to help us do that, would you send tithes or offerings to support this radio ministry? Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I pray today has been helpful to you. I pray you will get on your face before God and ask for a full revelation of Jesus. He is merciful, He is kind, He is loving. He will receive you if you will repent. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you in Jesus. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy Now unto him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of his glory 